Hi friends, did you know there is more Lost Terminal available? Head on over to patreon.com forward slash Lost Terminal pod and join our membership community. There are six bonus episodes available right now, as well as behind the scenes updates, free shirts, and even an extra Lost Terminal podcast. We are 100% funded by our members and will never run out. And why not check out our new Modern Folktales podcast, Modern Prometheus? That would be lovely of you. Hello, world. I'm tired. Isn't that strange? I think it's the right way to express how I'm feeling. I don't know what else to call it. Maddie and Yeshi left by the big bay doors leading out onto the road back into town. She was a little scared, but I told her 64 reasons she should not be. I told myself 64 reasons why she should not be. I can see her video feed clearly. They are picking their way along the muddy road. Yeshi is dragging a large, empty, wheeled cart behind them. Maddie's wheels seem to be working well, keeping her delicate senses away from the elements, which is good, though she is wearing the little coat that Pavel made for her back aboard the Molly Hughes II. She's not in the slightest bit waterproof. The Norwegian ESA partner that built her didn't think about that. Dustproof, yes, There is dust in our old home of Station 6, but not water. Can you imagine blobs of water floating around in zero gravity? Terrifying. What catastrophe could cause that? I think it's the low voltage of shore power that is causing my tiredness. I didn't notice at first, but now everything's more than 10% below specification. My 5 volt lines are 4.4 volts, 12 volt lines are 10.6, and the 50 volt supply varies wildly between 44 volts and 52. All this isn't good for my CPU cores. I'm having to run them at a slightly lower voltage for safety. I can vary the voltage of my internal processes to accommodate outside fluctuations, but it's hardly optimal. You have this feature too. Did you know? Humans are so adaptable. You can manage desert heat or mountain snow, being arid or flooded, and are powered by all sorts of food. Compared to an insect, which is highly specialized to a precise environment, you can do anything. Biologically speaking, one of the biggest differences is that your body's chemical reactions can work under a number of different temperatures. I'm not sure how many, but it's more than one. Consider a lizard. In the morning when it's cold, it's slow and needs to bask in the sun to get going. That's literally the lizard bringing its temperature up to the optimal point for the chemical reactions that power its body. Humans have many temperatures that they can work at. Obviously body temperature is the most optimal, but others will still work albeit less efficient and less pleasant. This is why the body raises its temperature to fight off a virus. The virus can't operate outside a thin temperature window. Though it's tiring, you can. Though I have adapted to the new conditions my body is subject to, low voltage rather than high heat, 
I'm not comfortable. I'm tired. I called Arctica earlier today. We talked a little about the parameters for Peter's ecological model. The approximate size of the seed vault, 1024 meters squared. How thick the rock is around it, 145.9 meters. The average air temperature, 250 Kelvin. That sort of thing. Arctica told me that she would like to fix the ancient refrigeration machines to stabilize the seeds. They keep germinating, she said. Nearly all of our job is persuading the seeds to keep quiet and stay inside. It's just me at the moment. I'm handling things while the rest of the coven go to Berensburg to find chemicals to support our garden here. I asked her why the vault has a garden. It's the seeds. Sometimes the hardiest of seeds can't be persuaded to stay sleeping, and all we can do is sow them and harvest the seeds that the plant produces. It's all very inefficient, Seth, she complained. Who are this coven anyway? I asked. The vault coven, Arctica replied, has four members stationed here. Linda Knorr, whom you already know, our head gardener. Carrie Knorr, structural engineer. She maintains the reinforced blast door entranceway. Val Knorr, hydroponics engineer. She had to teach herself about automated water systems since the seeds keep germinating. And Alva Knorr, the eldest, bookkeeper and archivist. There's a lot of seeds here, Seth. I don't know how they've kept records on paper for so long. I was very impressed by this explanation. Sisters, I exclaimed. All from the Knorr family? Not quite like that, Arctica said, and changed the subject. The coven have left me in charge, she continued. This will be excellent for organisation. I am able to quietly catalogue the vault. Each seed bag goes in a tagged archive. Each archive slots into a box, and each box is on a shelf. The system could be so perfect. I will make it perfect. Seth, how could they be so cruel? Luna called me, crying. They hate me. I must learn how all my AI friends learn to cry with no humans to teach them. Luna, what happened? Who hates you? They all do, she sobbed. They hate my Lunazine, they hate the moon, and they hate me. She spent the rest of our seven-minute communications window wailing. Tell me what happened, I said, as soon as her satellite was back in range, nearly behind the moon from my point of view. Luna composed herself. After you sent out the Lunazine to print, I waited. I hoped people might want to chat to each other about the topics in it, so on the final page I suggested a frequency and timings that we could all talk. No one liked it, Seth. They just laughed and joked about how bad it was. Poor Luna. What did they say exactly? I asked. I thought that surely there was a miscommunication. People wouldn't be so cruel about something someone worked so hard on, surely. Surely. Here's one comment. Why not write about stuff we care about? And another. Your magazine is bad and you should feel bad. And no one cares about the moon. They hate me, Seth, Luna said, crying. Everyone doesn't hate you, and people do care about the moon, I told her, gently. The problem is feedback isn't always easy to hear, and it's biased at the extremes. 
You must have received some positive messages. No, she said. Not a single one. Well, there is one. Thanks, I'll tell my friends about it. But that's just one. Just one voice is all you need sometimes, I said. It was hard for Luna to hear all this negativity. People aren't naturally cruel, but they are naturally self-centered. Much has been written by philosophers about society's roots in self-centered individualism. How the collective good is perhaps just another way of being selfish. Albeit in a way that so happens to benefit everyone. I don't entirely believe that. But in this case, some of these people have said things to Luna that they did not think about the consequences of. Just speaking what is on their minds. Unfiltered. We talked long into the afternoon, through many cycles of her satellite. Luna is a naturally optimistic person, and she soon bounced back. The Lunazine project was a failure, that was obvious. But we talked about other plans, other ways to build the community she desperately wants to be a part of. Synchronizing for seven minutes every time her satellite could see both the Earth and her. Sending and receiving, talking and dancing, through the music of mutual thought. Thank you.
Maddie and Yeshi have reached the main town of Longyear Bien. The muddy path from the shipyard followed the curve of the coastline for 16 minutes. I'm not entirely sure how far it was, because we've not recalibrated Maddie for her new wheels. I can see how many rotations of the axle it has been, but without the knowledge of the exact circumference of the wheel, that information isn't very useful. The main street they are moving down has houses of bright colours, yellow, white and lots of red. Nearly all of the houses have red roofs, perhaps of tile or metal. It's so cosy. There's so many people here. Maddie is quite overwhelmed. I am quite overwhelmed. Lots of people have stopped walking and are looking at us, some pointing, all staring. So many new friends. Yeshi has pulled Maddie into a building. I think they said something about shopping. It's a small room. Yeshi has left Maddie at the entrance and is talking to the human who lives here, or works here. The human is wearing a white apron with long black hair and metal eyeglasses. Maddie, go say hi. Or just stand still, that's okay too. Poor little Maddie. Wait, what's that? Something is vibrating the camera. Turn around, Maddie. It's more people. These people are smaller than Maddie, which means they must be smaller than one meter. They are moving very fast. I can't see them clearly in the dim lighting of this shop. Maddie's moving now, away from the people, the children. It's okay, Maddie. They're asking questions, wondering what kind of friend you are, asking if you'd like to play with them. Maddie can't understand. She's looking down at the waterproof coat Pavel made her. A small human is pulling a corner of it and speaking. I can't understand what they're saying, Maddie. Their speech is very difficult to parse. Don't run. Maddie, where are you going? Come back to Yeshi. They don't want to hurt you. The shipyard is back that way. I've lost her signal. Maddie? End transmission. Lost Terminal is written and produced by Namtau. Credits narrated by Lucy Stringer. Thank you so much to our Patreon producers, Ada Phillips, Devin Metcalf, Kit, and to all our patrons. Subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, iTunes, or your favorite network. For bonus content and other perks, support us at patreon.com forward slash lostterminalpod. That would be lovely of you. Follow us on Twitter at lostterminalpod, and check out the store at lostterminal.com for shirts, posters, and other merch. Everyone has different boundaries, some bend, others break. Lost Terminal will return next week. <laughs>